thing is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Morning, everyone. Good, good to have you with us this morning. Um, before we get into the message today, I just wanted to uh, take a few minutes to just share some thoughts, uh, since this is the first time uh, for myself that I get to be up on the pulpit and address all of you. Uh, since Pastor Tim and the Board of Elders made the announcement, as well as you know Stan's announcement uh, just a few moments ago. Oh, and by the way, I'm sure if you have any questions, you want to, you know, Stan would welcome you to just come and talk to him. Uh, yeah, so please feel free to, to do so. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd just like to share some thoughts with you. If you're visiting with us this morning, if you're new, uh, we're glad you're here, but please just kind of bear with me as I kind of address the congregation. Uh, to be honest, initially I was thinking of addressing you from the floor, um, but since God made me kind of vertically challenged, I thought you might have trouble seeing me. Um, but the reason I wanted to address you from the floor is because I, I just wanted to share some thoughts with you as a member of this church. Uh, I'm not on the board of elders. I wasn't in the, the, the meetings or discussions that were had between uh, Pastor Tim and the board of elders. So, you know, I, I just kind of share more as a fellow member, although, of course, I am a pastor at this church. And I know, you know, hearing announcements like Pastor Tim and the BOEs and now stands uh, this morning can uh, make us all, you know, feel a bit kind of anxious and wonder what's going on. Um, I do know the feeling. Uh, let me tell you a, a recent experience I had. Um, so I have really bad spring seasonal allergies here in Boston. Um, I found nothing that worked, and it's just terrible. So um, this year I said someone suggested that I go try some acupuncture. And I went to go get some acupuncture. And I don't know if you've ever had acupuncture before, but, um, you know, what they do before they put the needles in, they kind of massage the area before uh, they put the needles in, which for me was kind of my shoulders and my upper back. And then they stick the needles in. And then after a while, um, after the needles in, they um, take the needles out and massage the area a little more. And I, a recent visit, uh, a different person came in to, to take the needles out and, kind of massage the area and he starts massaging you know around my shoulder and he's like you know what do you do for a living and I'm like oh I work at a church he's like you work at a church I'm like yeah I work at a church he's like you're really tight and then like you know he starts massaging some more and and I can kind of sense like he's in disbelief and he's like he's like you really work for a church he's like what, do you take on all the sufferings of your members? <laughs> and, and I kind of laughed, and I'm like, and I thought about it, but I went home, and I'm like, yeah, you know, sometimes I feel that way. And um, I think sometimes the Board of Elders do as well, you know, and, and the deacons. And, um, you know, and I share that because I know when the BOE had 
the discussions with Pastor Tim, you know, they, they felt the great burden of responsibility. And, and they wanted to discern, you know, what was best for Pastor Tim, what was best for our church. And, and I trust during their discussions, you know, the, the arrangement, the agreement made between the two parties, because I know it came with much uh, thought, uh, much prayer, much discernment, much seeking the Lord. And so, um, yeah, I trust, you know, the decision that was made. And as I had a bit of time to reflect, I also, it was also, for me, a good reminder that, you know, this is God's church, and he is the one in control. You know, it's not anyone, one pastor's church, it's not the BOE's church, it's God's church. And we shouldn't have a situation like in 1 Corinthians 3 where some members are like, oh, I follow Paul, and others are like, oh, I follow Apollos. You know, as Paul, Paul explained in the chapter, you know, the pastors are just here to do the work God assigned them to do, but it's God who makes things grow. And since he's in control and he's omniscient, you know, he doesn't get off guard, get caught off guard. So it's not like God's up there, you know, kind of scratching his head like, wow, I didn't expect Pastor Tim or Stan to not renew their contracts. You know, i got to figure out what to do now. You know, he has a purpose and plan. And yes, it's been, you know, shown uh, that it's good for churches to have pastors long term, but you know, none of us are, are uh, or, all of us are expendable. You know, so even if I come up next week and I say, oh, I have an announcement to make, which, which I, I'm not, so far I'm not planning to do, um, you know, don't, it's okay. You know, because it's not any one of our church. It, it's God's church. You know, God has been using this church in many good ways through the years, through many staff transitions. And as we continue to walk in obedience to him, uh, he will continue to use us. Um, probably none of you remember um, the vision statement of CBCGB. Um, I, don't, I won't put anyone on the spot. Uh, but here it is. It's to see every person become a disciple of Christ across all cultures, from east to west, from greater Boston to the world. And just let me share with you, God is enabling our church to do some positive things to help accomplish our vision. Um, in Crossbridge, we're completing our first year, I think most of you don't know, we're completing our first year of life-on-life missional discipleship groups to train our members to become reproducible disciples. And we're looking to expand when we restart again in September so that we can begin training more members to become disciples, like our mission statement or our vision statement says. Several of our members are, you know, considering God's call in their life to become vocational missionaries or enter full-time ministry. You know, if you were at joint service two Sundays ago during Father's Day, you know we commissioned our short-term mission teams. Someone counted and said there were 90 people up on stage being commissioned. And in terms of reaching our cultures, you know, from east to west, from greater Boston to the world, we're sending teams this summer to the Philippines, Japan, China, Kyrgyzstan, Dubai, Honduras. One of our youth teams is going to minister to the Native Americans in Arizona. A team primarily from our city outreach ministry in the city is going to minister to Somalian refugees in Maine. Uh, as you know, we also support you know, many, many full-time overseas workers. And I looked at, and, and we cover four of the seven continents. So maybe God will call, be calling some of you in the near future to make it seven out of the seven continents. And, and if any of you want to volunteer, this is true, if any of you actually feel called to serve in Antarctica, I know someone who will fully fund you. 
So you can talk to me as it's not me, but someone I do, uh, do know. So they will fully fund anyone who goes to Antarctica. Um, this week, a lot of you helped out with VBS, uh, and I heard we had about 115 kids in VBS, which was an exceptionally large number. Um, so yes, you know, in Crossbridge, you know, we will be sure to pastor, but ministry goes on. You know, we are blessed to have three students who will start their final year of seminary this fall who can help us during this transition period. The last week of you were here, I actually brought it, I forgot to bring it up, you saw you had a handout in the bulletin of all the summer preaching schedules, so you see that many of our seminarians will pitch in. Uh, we have, we we're blessed to have some overseas workers back for the summer who are going to come and share. Uh, so yeah, you know, we have so many gifted people, uh, you know, as well as all of you in the congregation. And right now we're also in the process of trying to hire someone to fill in as an interim pastor to help us during this period. Uh, you know, for our youth, we have many gifted lay people serving and Pastor Jen's, you know, going to be here. So ministry will go on. So if there's two things I could ask uh, from you during this time, it would be uh, to serve and to pray. Uh, since we'll, we will be short some staff, there are you know, many areas you can pitch in. Actually, there's always areas where you need help in. Uh, many of you are serving already, and some of you are over-serving, so this message is not for you. If that is, falls into, if you fall into that category. Uh, but for the rest, you know, if you're not involved in a ministry, if you have capacity to do a little more, you know, let me or the other leaders know. We'll be happy to find a place to get you plugged in and find you some meaningful service. Uh, during this time, we also covered up your prayers as we go through this transi- transition and seek our next Crossbridge pastor and youth pastor. You know, pray for the search process. Pray for the leaders. And you know, I'm so happy that uh, Jim Cho. I don't know if many of you know him, but Jim Cho uh, and his family have been attending faithfully. He felt the burden to continue monthly prayer meetings. And we know Sunday nights may not have been that great of a night for people as you get ready for the, the work day, you know, the, the next work week to start. So you'll see uh, today in your announcement in the bulletin, we're going to try to move it to Thursday nights to see if that's better. We're going to have it at church. Even if you can't physically make it, um, we're going to set up a video conference so you can video uh, conference in. Yeah, so, so you know, we, we just would really cover your prayers as well. You know, don't be discouraged uh, during this transition period, but be encouraged as you are reminded about all that God is doing in and through our church. Continue to pray for our church, pitch in as you can, uh, because you know God is still going to use us to advance His kingdom, and you know there's still a whole lot of people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so be encouraged to come and support and serve and pray. Okay, let's get to our passage for this morning. So. It's been about three weeks uh, since we were last in Galatians. So let me remind you uh, what this letter is all about. In the church of Galatia, there were these false teachers infiltrating the church. Uh, these, teacher, these false teachers were mostly Jewish believers who, although you know, accepted Jesus into their life, uh, believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they felt it was also necessary for people to follow the Old Testament laws in order to have a right relationship with God, especially things like circumcision and following dietary laws. So you had these teachers going around the church in Galatia telling members things like, you know, it's great that you've accepted Jesus. You know, praise God. But if you really want to get right with God, you have to get circumcised. 
You know, and you know the laws were given to the Old Testament people to 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 set people apart and make people right with God. And so, in the same way, we have to be following them now. Well, this is totally incorrect teaching. Uh, so Paul writes this letter to show the Galatians and us that acceptance by God and maintaining a relationship with Him is through faith for all people and not by works. Through faith for all people and not by works or obedience to the law. This whole letter is just, is pretty much revolves around this whole theme. It's just one entire argument that Paul's using to make this point. To give you an example, if you have your Bibles open to Galatians 4, just flip it back to Galatians 3, and you'll see in the end of chapter 3, these three points made. Um, beginning in verse 23, Paul writes, Before this faith came, we were held prisoners of the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, so that what we might be justified by faith. So right here, Paul states, we enter into a relationship with God and receive salvation through faith. And skipping down to, in uh, Galatians 3 to verses 28 <coughs> to 29, he writes, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. We'll get into this last part a little bit uh, a little bit later. But for now, we can see from these verses that acceptance by God is available to all people, regardless of race, right? Because he says both Jew and Gentile. Regardless of socioeconomic class, because he says slave or free. And regardless of gender, because he said male or female. So God does not discriminate. He makes his salvation available to all people. And then skipping back to verse 25. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So once again, acceptance by God and maintaining a relationship with him is not by obedience to Old Testament law, but it's through faith. So our passage for this morning, in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 4, Paul's making his third argument to support this whole theme of Galatians. When you heard the passage read, you may be wondering, well, what, what's going on with all this talk of sons and slaves and guardians and heirs? So let me unpack um, this passage for you so that we can see what Paul's saying and how it applies to us. His first point is that we were slaves. We were slaves. He writes in verses 1 to 3, What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In saying this, Paul is going back to Old Testament history, comparing the Israelites, who were God's chosen people at the time, to slaves. Though they were God's chosen people, that is, his children, they were still immature and could not receive yet the benefits of adulthood. It's a common scenario he uses. I mean, you may hear stories of like very wealthy parents and their children may be entitled to receive, you know, the parents' hefty estate. But though they have the rights to inherit the estate, when they're young, they're no different, say, from the parents' domestic helpers if they have them. Because they're still under the authority and the control of the parents. 
The helpers are instructed to, you know, to do the right thing. The helpers are reprimanded when they don't do the right thing. They're taught to obey what, you know, the, their, their, uh, their employees tell them. So it's the same with the kids. You know, the kids are instructed, they're reprimanded, they're taught to obey. And so Paul's saying that the Israelites back in Old Testament times were just like slaves. They were children because they were still, it, they were children and though they were, were entitled to inherit, inherit the estate, they couldn't because they were still immature. So the question is, well, why were the Israelites still immature back in the Old Testament? Well, the second half of verse 3 answers that. Paul writes, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. What are the basic principles of the world? Um, if you do a little study, you'll learn that what Paul is actually referring to is the Old Testament law and its negative consequences. When those in the Old Testament tried to follow the law, even for those who did their best, they couldn't, they were still enslaved to the law. Why? Because the law revealed their sin of disobedience to the law. It showed that they needed a mediator to atone for their disobedience. It showed that approval by God could not be achieved by following the law because no one could perfectly follow it. And so it's no different for us. Paul writes in Romans 6.16, He says, Don't you know that when you, when you offer yourselves to someone to obey, uh, to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. His point is that though people think they're living independently and, and free to live however they want, in actuality, he's saying we're all slaves to something, whether it's the decadence a person wants to pursue, whether it's status, relationship. He says we're all enslaved to something. And, be, and even though, like the Israelites back then, you may, they could be, have considered to be children of God, they were just like slaves, because they were enslaved to the law. And this is not a good place to be in, which God knew. So it says in verse 4, But when the time came, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And this is Paul's next point, is that though we were slaves, we were made sons. We don't know why God chose the time he did to fulfill this part of the salvation plan. Scripture doesn't tell us. I mean, why was this the right time for Jesus to come? But when the time was right, he sent his son, Jesus. And the characteristics given in verse 4 are very important. He was born of a woman, so it means that he became a human just like us. He was born under the law, because we were slaves to the law. So in order to redeem us from the law, he had to be born unto the law and fulfill all the requirements of the law, which he did. And because of his completed work, we are reconciled back into God's family. And this last part is the doctrine of adoption. When I was in Asia for a short-term mission trip, I had the privilege of meeting a woman who cares for orphans in her home. I may have mentioned uh, 
you know, this person before. And, and, you know, she doesn't care for, you know, just any orphan. She cares for the ones that the orphanages don't want. Those with very special needs. Several years ago, she began uh, caring for a boy who had severe mental retardation. He couldn't speak. He could only, like, grunt, make noises. Although he could see, he couldn't really focus on you. Um, he couldn't walk. He was confined to a wheelchair. And I don't think he even had use of his hands. Um, she, she cared for the boy, for this boy a few years, and as he progressed in years, uh, she came to a recognition that, you know, no one's going to adopt this kid because he has so many special needs. So a couple of years ago, she made a decision that she would adopt this boy and make, her his, make him her son. And I recently uh, saw them about a month ago. Um, they were back in the States. They had to, to do some immigration work, um, and they needed some help. Uh, so I got to, to meet up with them. Uh, the boy is you know, 10 years old now, but he has the mental faculties of probably someone who's you know, age one or two. Um, you know, we were driving, and as we were talking, I, I asked her, I said, you know, Marie, forgive me for asking, but I was just wondering, how much do you think he really understands because he can't speak, he can't move. And she said, you know, probably very little. But I know he recognizes when I call his name and I know he feels it when people are affectionate to him. And as I thought about it more, I thought, yeah, this is, you know, just a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. Because we were trapped in a helpless state of sin. We couldn't do anything on our own. There was nothing we could do to help our condition. We were seeking love and acceptance. And God the Father saw our state and sent Jesus to come down to earth to fulfill all the requirements of the law and be sacrificed so that we could be adopted as his children. Through him we receive love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We were made sons, not in a gender sense, but more in the sense that we are now entitled to receive all the privileges the firstborn son had back in those days. So we went from slaves to be heirs. But some of you may wonder, well, how can you really be sure you're part of God's family? How can you be so sure you've been redeemed? And Paul answers this in the last section of our passage. Verses 6 to 7. Because you are sons... God sent the Spirit into our hearts, the Spirit who called out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So we, have, we can be assured of our salvation because we have received the Spirit. Spirit. Two things here. For those who call yourself Christ followers, you can have assurance of salvation because one, as I said, you have received the Spirit. In Ephesians 1, the second part of verse 13 to 14, it says this, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Who's the seal? The promised Holy Spirit, who does what? Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So God has given us his spirit once we accept him to mark us, it says, to seal us, to guarantee our salvation. But then you may follow up and ask, well, how do you know you have the Spirit inside you? Can you tell? And that's the second thing Paul writes of. Although there are many different ways 
to know that the Spirit is working inside you. Paul keys in on one in Galatians. He says, you know, in verse um, 6 to 7, that you know the Spirit is in you because the Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father. So, so what does this mean? Okay, turn to Romans 8. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8. Now I get to see something interesting in verses 15 to 16. Romans 8, verses 15 to 16. I think most of you have it or are close to having it, and I'll, I'll read it for you. He says this, The Spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, once again, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Here's that concept again. We have been adopted to become his sons. And then get this, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. Notice the difference. In Galatians, Paul says the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Here in Romans, we cry out, Abba, Father. Is Paul contradicting himself? Well, no, because of Romans 8.16. See, I think what Paul's teaching here is that the Holy Spirit works inside of us and links his himself, you know, the, the, his, the Holy Spirit, to our spirits, so that together we call out for grace and mercy to God and cry out, Abba, Father. When people are in trouble, you know, when you have needs, you know, when you struggle, if the Spirit inside of you, which is the Holy Spirit as well as your spirit, is moving you towards God and having you cry out to God, Abba, Father, you know the Spirit is inside of you. You may have heard that Abba was the most intimate term back then that uh, a child could call his father. Uh, you know, maybe you've heard sermons where you know, people say you, know, you could translate this term like Daddy or Papa. And, and this is true, but, but it's a little different than the term Daddy in English. Because in Judaism, the term Abba not only carried this relational intimacy, but it always carried an understanding to always honor and respect your Father. So if you have received the Holy Spirit, which is prompting you to cry out to God, Abba, Father, and you come to God with this relational intimacy, having this relational intimacy, and, then, and with the respect and honor that God the Father deserves, you can be assured of your salvation. So notice, throughout this whole passage, Paul talks about salvation in terms of what God has done for us. We were helpless, but Jesus came down to redeem us and make us sons. God has given us His Spirit to transform us, to call out to Him. So Paul would uphold salvation is once again based on faith and what God has done, and he would recommend the Galatians and us if we're thinking that we have to earn God's favor by obeying the law. He's telling you it's not going to work. You know, eating that kosher hot dog is not going to earn you any more of God's favor or acceptance. You know, yes, our faith causes us to want to obey God, but it's not our obedience or works that earn, earns God's merit. So he's telling the Galatians and us, stop buying into this false thinking that your redemption is performance-based. It's not. 
Jesus completed the work necessary so those in Christ are not God's children and you can be assured of your salvation because you have received the Spirit. Praise God that he has done this work for us and given us this grace and mercy and salvation which we'll come to remember in just a few moments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that out of your grace and love and mercy, you saw us in our helpless state as sinners. You saw that there was nothing we could do on our own. So you sent your son Jesus to come and be born as a human, to be born under the law, to fulfill all the requirements of the law so that we could be moved from slaves to sin to heirs and sons and your children who will one day be glorified and receive this inheritance you have in store for us. And I pray for anyone who does, who may not know you yet, who may not have that relationship with you yet, that they could see their need for you to move from being a slave to sin to being a child of God. And it probably sings in Jesus' name. Amen.